we continue our quest to understand what different women around the continent are doing to deepen democracy and to strengthen communities and to strengthen and build inclusive economies. Today, we speak to Nobuntu Webster, a South African who is the co-founder and deputy leader of a new political party called BOSA, Build One South Africa. She is co-creating this new political party with the seasoned politician, Musi Maimani, who, was, uh, who is former leader of the Democratic Alliance, one of the main opposition parties in South Africa. Nobuntu Webster is an African, young African woman, and she's going into the murky political space of South African politics. And I have known Nobuntu for a few years, and I was quite enthralled to see her put her hand up and take action to participate and not just be a couch analyst like some of us of what's going on and what's going right, what's going wrong in South Africa. I look forward to learn more and see how else things can be shook up in South Africa to make our democracy one that is truly inclusive, one that is building communities, and one that is truly inclusive in terms of its economy and all societal structures. Thank you for having me on this. And also to say, I love the work you're doing with this. Um, you know, I think I know you as an entrepreneur, but I also know you um, as somebody who is very politically engaged um, and somebody who is very politically astute. So it's really great to see you doing this stuff. I've been looking forward to that time. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think we have no choice but to be uh, uh, politically engaged in J, all yeah. of us. So yeah, so I'm gonna just jump jump into 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 our conversation now on that because Nobuntu Webster, I've known you for many years. Um, we went to university together, and then we reconnected when you were um, in your journey as a an entrepreneur and a media personality. Uh, and now you're a politician. Um, how did you find your way or your journey into becoming basically a politician and starting? A political party? So, sure. I guess it's two answers. The first being what you've just said now, which is we're at a place where we don't have really a choice except to be politically engaged. And I think we're going to find different ways to do it. Um, and being involved politically and starting a political party was mine. So that's the one side of it. It's just time. And we I always say there's nobody coming to save us. So um, it's that belief that there's nobody who's better for us than us ourselves. So, so that's the first part of it. And then I guess the second part of it is that this is, I guess, who I've always been. Um, when I think about my whole life, first of all, I've always been a leader and I've always been an activist. Um, I think the leadership part and always being a leader and always caring about what is happening um, in the public sphere, what is happening uh, in governance 
That is, I think it's innate. Um, I think I was born a leader. I believe I was born a leader. And I think that I was raised in a family that nurtured that, that nurtured the leadership in me. I was I was raised in a family that invested in that and that took me into spaces where that would be nurtured. I mean, including the schools that I went to. So, so, so I think there's that part of it. But then I was also raised by a very politically engaged father. Um, and I remember he would, <laughs> I was seven in grade one, um, and we would travel from the township that we lived in, in Nanda, to Musgrave and Durban, um, to the school I went to, Maristella, which was a private school at the time, well, still is. Um, and he would talk to me about why I have to go to the school. And the reality, the reason was that um, there was a concerted effort an intentional effort and a legislative effort um, to give inferior education to, to black children. Um, so he would teach me all that. He'd explain that uh, public the public schools um, are under that system. And so the only option they have in trying to get me an education that will afford me an equal opportunity to a white child would be taken to a white school. He would then also teach me about capitalism and communism and all of that. And I remember he'd say, don't say this stuff at school. Um, so, so yeah, I think um, I, I, I was a leader. It was nurtured. I had a politically engaged father who engaged me politically up until he passed away just under two years ago. We were always involved in issues of politics. But then I also think that lastly, my own, um, my own experience of South Africa um, made me an activist. My own experience as a black person, my own experience um, as a woman, my own experience um, living in two economies, um, those kinds of things made me into somebody who was an activist and who cared about making a difference. So everything that I've always done, even the businesses, were actually me trying to find a way to contribute to the development of the country. Everything that I did was always me trying to find a way to extend whatever is, is set out, um, to extend whatever sets out in policy um, in my own way and in my in my own small way in my in my business. Until a time came where it was like, actually, I'm doing what I can, I'm contributing in the way that I can, but it doesn't feel like it's enough. Um Sorry. Yeah, we're just at that place where I have to do more. And so I was fortunate to be selected for the Future Elect program. It was then called the Apolitical Academy, um, where I could consolidate, you know, what I've known about leadership, about public leadership, about politics. Um, and then, yeah, from there, the rest is kind of history. <laughs> yeah. But I just want to take you back a bit. Um, you said that your, your dad used to teach you about what's going on in the country. I know that you are a, a mom of two boys. Mm. How are you, are you bringing up those conversations already with your, with your kids? I, um, I ask as well as a parent, because um, I think a, a lot of us uh, grapple with, at what point do we start talking about these things um, in a way that doesn't traumatize our kids? You know, yeah. so how have you navigated that? Interestingly, in my house, it's my husband who's led those conversations and who started them. I mean, when he started them, there was a part of me that was that felt like it was too early. But what he would do is he uses public holidays 
as an opportunity. So when it's June 16, he explains what it's about. Uh, he explains it truthfully, um, just as a historical fact. Um, and he made sure, I think for him, the idea is to ensure that what our children are learning are from our lens, you know, and they don't get to school um, and only hear a version of events that might not be accurate or actually that might just be from a different lens. So he talks to them, he uses public holidays to explain the facts of what happened. And then he explains how that has affected us today and how we live today and what we see today. One of the things my husband, and I mean, some of it is quite, I feel like it's quite harsh, <laughs> you know, um, but I'm always, you know, him and I kind of do the balance. And, and I, I think I do a balance of not softening the truth, but kind of softening how it lands with them. So yeah. always them, listen, um, you guys are living a lie. You know, he'll say, and they'll be like, what do you mean? How? How? And he says, we live in a suburb. Um, You guys are in the top 2% of Mm. this economy. So you must know that the life you're living, the schools you go to, your whole lifestyle is not a true reflection of how the majority of South Africans are living. And, you know, he explains that in the context of these public holidays, and then he'll explain the history and how we got here. He'll tell them stuff like, he'll explain to them why they don't see, they don't have a majority of Black teachers in their school when they themselves as Black people are a majority in the country. So he makes it practical in the sense of their surroundings and their lives. Um, And he makes use of things like the commemorative days that we have in our country. Yeah. Well, that's a good way of doing it. I think like um, with with my kids as well, I always uh, think about how it's, it's a lie. Like like mm-hmm. your husband is saying that the majority of kids their age are not experiencing the things that they are, they think are normal, and if we don't bring that awareness sooner than later, it will cause a problem within them uh, yeah. later on. They have to now address some of these issues. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I, I always grapple with that because at the same time, you know, you want to avoid a situation where you create you create an inferior complex. So you have to really explain it properly um, mm-hmm. for the child to be able to understand it. Um, and I so- think, sorry, just to come in there, you also need to be willing to continuously engage on it, right? Because you start you start the conversation in that moment and with that opportunity, but then it needs to be an ongoing conversation. So these are conversations that then my husband starts them and drives them, but then they still come up, you know, and I might be picking up my son and in the car, he'll say, you know, mama, Baba said this, and I don't know how to feel about it because, you know, now I'm conflicted, you know? And so the conversation continues and you have to help them navigate that as well, because now they're sitting with privilege and you don't want them to feel guilty that they are in a, in a, in a better place than the majority of South Africans. But at the same way, you have to conscientize them to the fact that that's the truth. And what do you do with that? What do you do with that privilege that you now have? Yeah. And, you know, it brings me to my next question to you, because it feels to me like we've normalized um, a lot of wrong things in the country. We've normalized that there should be poor people. We've normalized poverty. We've normalized inequality 
quality. Um, and I feel like it's it's a normalization that's accepted um, across. So those that are experiencing the poverty and living it every day, um, in a sense, uh, accept it and do not know that they deserve or feel they should work for better or push for a different type of governance system. And those that are um, in privilege are feel that this is normal. They are, uh, they've, they've earned this, the, the privilege. Um, so what is it that you felt was so urgent uh, that now you had to make the jump into politics. You felt like you're not able to make the change you, you want to see. Um, no one is coming to save us. And I've seen you say this um, quite for years now. Um, no one is coming to save us. What What is the urgency that you are seeing? What are the urgent matters that you, you are seeing that you feel need to change? Sure. So firstly, for me, I mean, what drives me really is economic issues. And I think that's the first thing for me that 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 became so urgent and, and that is so urgent. When you look at our unemployment statistics um, and when you look at our poverty in South Africa, the number of South Africans that live below the poverty line, you, you look at those kinds of statistics and you realize that South Africa, for the most part, our issues are not necessarily um, in policy. I think we have policy for the most part and generally that could make this country work. The issue really is in the leadership that we have. So that's the urgency. When you keep hoping that things will change, when you keep um, looking for a shift, um, even in the leadership and, and, and thinking that something's going to change, but you realize that actually nothing's changing because what's not changing is the kind of leadership that we have. So that's really what's urgent for me. It's we're at a place where we really don't have much time if we continue the trajectory that we, we we are on we don't have much time before we get to a place of complete brokenness of an economic system and yeah. really isn't necessarily about we need an overhaul a huge overhaul or a huge change um in in policy yes there's this this improvement that needs to happen and you you can improve upon the policy and yes Based on where we are now, you have to have a relook at policy given where we sit now. But actually, the real problem South Africa has had is the leadership because it's in the implementation, um, it's in efficiency, it's in ethical governance that we've had the real problem. So that's that's the urgency. And that's how I've put my hand up, because that's something that I believe that I can contribute to. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to contribute to, I used to have a, um, a segment I used to contribute to um, on Likwala Kwala FM uh, in the Mbumalanga area, Siswati radio station. And uh, I would, my contribution, they would always talk to me about what's happening economically. And mm-hmm. I think what I, and I'm obviously also coming from, from government myself, what mm-hmm. I realized is that people in general, um, tune out when it comes to um, economic speak or finance speak because they feel that this is not their purview as citizens. It's not um, the space in which they should contribute, they should have um, expertise in or participate in. So they would um, essentially want to leave that to those they think know better. And yet the people who actually experience um, 
the the economy and um, the policy of the economy are are the people, but they're not educated about the economy or economics, how things work. And so they can't even question why government is making certain decisions. They can't even question why um, the trade unions are up in arms on this particular issue. And I used to think that, you know, I always used to urge people to really um, start paying attention to that and to urge their their kids, if you have kids at school, um, get them interested in understanding how the economy works. Because for me, the economy, how the economy is structured reflects um, our democracy at play. Right. Um, but I would say in Ubuntu, our, our policies, like even if our policies were to be executed fully, um, ethically fully, I feel like our policies are not the right policies at this time. Um, as, as your as um, as your political party, what, what is your economic policy that you're looking to to push? Sure. So, no, I absolutely, first of all, agree with you on what you're saying about people engaging um, with issues of the economy. And I think it's just about having these conversations in in language that doesn't put people off. So it's about having the, the, the conversations in a simplistic way and also being able to bring them to people's reality. You know, um, I'm not an economist myself, um, but I found that even at university, studying economics it, it made sense to me most when I could apply it to my surroundings and I could apply it to my own life. And I think that's that's really what 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 we should be aiming at, even as political parties um, and as and as and as political commentators. I think that's what's most important to get people engaged on that. In terms of us and our policy, you know, one of the things that when you speak to policy, yes, I, I say that um, much of of the policy. Um, uh, in South Africa, is policy that 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 could work or could have worked to to a certain to take us to a certain level or to take us to a certain point. Um, but uh, I agree with you in saying that it's not all the policy um, that can work for us. One of those is the triple BE policy. So I find that you look at triple BE policy, and what it did is it focused on transformation in an already existing system that actually was designed by the apartheid government and the apartheid system. So Mm. you look at a policy that actually is reliant on um, an apartheid system, a colonial system, let's just Mm. put it. And so uh, for me, the issue with that is that what it's done is it's given Black South Africans, who are a majority in the country, access to really a very, very limited and a very limiting economic system. So that's the first thing. The second is that what it's done is that you could never, with that policy, even it being implemented to the best extent that it could be. You could never fully transform um, or significantly transform the status or the economic status of Black people in this, in, in this country with that economy, um, with, 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 with that policy. 
And the reason for that is that, first of all, we're all very aware that even as we sit with an unemployment crisis, the private sector is limited in how many of those jobs or how much of the unemployment it can absorb. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, limited. it's so limited, let alone that it is then also going to be limited in ownership and how many then black people, what percentage of those black people can then have a stake in that economy and be part of owning that economy. So that's the reality. And so what we've said as BOSA is that what we need to do is to make sure that we are building other economies as well. So for instance, our focus is on township economy and in saying, let's develop special economic zones in townships. Let's make sure that we're investing in townships and making sure. And so the reason I say I say some of the policies are policies that that have been started or that have been drafted. Yes, they are imperfect. That's true. But the concepts are there. So there are policies around township economy and, and stimulating township economy in this country. As imperfect as they are, what's worse is that because of the leadership, we have not seen any of that. We have not seen any of that change. We have not seen any significant change in township economy. We still have people who wake up at four o'clock to go. The majority of South African and uh, Black South Africans living in urban areas wake up at four o'clock in the morning to go and work in a Santon, you know, mm. in, a, in, a, in a Durban suburb, um, wherever you are in South Africa, that's the reality. In Cape Town, that's the reality. Of, of what the economy looks like. So we're, we're focused, we're very focused on let us build the township economy so that, first of all, people can have full lives, people can live where they work. Um, people then are also not spending everything they earn uh, in trying to get to work. But yeah. most importantly for me, we have ownership. Yeah. We have people starting to have ownership, and that's how you create a uh, transformation in an economy by people owning. That way, we're also able to better absorb, um, 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 especially young people, with the unemployment crisis that we have, because we are not dependent on this limited economic system that we've been dependent on for so long. Yeah, because I've always said, and I think I remember the, um, some controversial commentator, economic com commentator, I think he used to work for a bank. He mm. said this a few years ago, and I agreed with him um, that even if the the current economy, like the drivers of, of, of the economy, which are, you know, whichever corporate, um, you know, white owned corporate there is, even if th those were to become majority black owned or black owned, they, we still wouldn't um, deal with the unemployment issue um, because the economy actually is quite small. Um, yeah. And what we need to focus on is, is growing the economy, which means growing um, economic activity, as you're saying. Um, and, you know, another thing for me, when I used to work for government in Bumalang, I, I used to do a lot of work traveling different parts of the province. And it used to shock me how many of small towns that were active and thriving you know, a few years ago are essentially dying and then pushing people to come into uh, main centers, like whether it's your Nalspreet or whether it's your Joburg, um, your Durban, people are being pushed because we're not ensuring that um, economic activity is growing everywhere where people are. Mm. Um, and it's also not the purview 
most of our corporate or private sector is not driven by the need to create jobs. They are yeah. driven by the need to create profit, right? Yes. Um, so, so um, my, my my next question for you is: um, what 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 would if 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 um, if I saw, I saw one thing that really um, hurt my heart in the past years is when we had that big COVID fund, right? We had what five hundred billion rand, and I would like to know if you, as Bosa, had that five hundred billion, how would you have spent that money? Sorry, you cut for a little bit, Don Betla. Could you please uh, repeat your question? I just heard the last part, which is, how would you spend the money? Okay. Um, one one of the things that hurt my heart uh, in the past years is how um, government had access to about five hundred billion uh, during the COVID time, and sure. uh, how would you, as Bosa, have spent that money that could have changed the trajectory the country's on? You know, in the midst of crisis, there's always opportunity. Um, and I know that sounds like a strange thing to say when you speak of COVID, but I mean, I lost my father to COVID, so I don't say this flippantly. I say it because, mm, I say it because at the end of the day, there's a crisis and there is, for instance, spend that's going to be spent. So first of all, we had here an opportunity to improve our healthcare system. We had an opportunity to improve our healthcare infrastructure, which we Mm. needed so desperately at that time. I have a family friend who lost two people one day after another because they were sick. They were told there was a time, I don't know if you'll remember, where people were told you can't go to a hospital. You have to wait to be picked up by an ambulance because people were literally queuing outside hospitals and literally dying in queues. And so they were saying, you can't come. You have to wait till uh, an ambulance picks you up. So they waited. Um, They waited, I think, 24 hours. Then we lost the mom in that family. Um, And the next day. We lo- and she was at home for the longest time as well, even after we lost her. And then we lost the mother's brother, the uncle, the next day at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that speaks to how the opportunity to improve infrastructure and capability um, in the system was not used. So that was opportunity, really. It was opportunity in responding to a crisis and something we needed at the time, but it was also opportunity to do something that will change um, our system for the better going forward. There was so, opportunity to, in a time that was incredibly difficult for the economy, there was opportunity to give small businesses the opportunity to manufacture masks, to manufacture a great deal of what we needed in the time. There was opportunity to grow the local pharmaceutical industry. Um, So for me, that's how 
we would have, you know, those are some of the things we would have looked looked at in that spend. Um, in immediately making sure we respond to a crisis, make sure we limit the number of deaths that we're experiencing, but make sure that we also invest um, in the system. Yeah. For the healthcare system, not only even infrastructure research. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot that we could have invested in, but also to make sure that we keep the economy going as well in that time. Um, it was the most heartbreaking thing. I agree with you. The most heartbreaking thing um, to see how that money was spent. Um, and I think for me, that was one of the moments that made it very clear that we're on our own. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree with you there. Um, you know, because economically, one of the things that we need to do as a country is, and, you know, for me, it's telling how the private sector thinks. There are so many things that the private sector could do to stimulate um, growth in the economy by bringing back manufacturing um, to the country. And as you know, I'm an entrepreneur myself and who, who works with quite a, a few um big corporates myself and it still breaks my heart to go I think one of the things that made me go into producing products was uh, this thing of walking into a, a big retailer where the majority of people all of the people who are shopping there are South Africans the majority are black South Africans um, one the products on the shelves are not black owned uh, Number two, a lot of the money that's being spent will actually go to profit um, people who are not in the country. So um, a lot of the stuff that is manufactured is not manufactured in the country. And so those corporates have the ability to say, no, we are going to only spend or spend 75% of our of our procurement on products that are manufactured in the country. Um, and, and government, I think at the time, with that kind of money, uh, could have definitely invested in that. How is your feeling? Because when we look at um, the direction of how finance is moving, how money is moving in the country, it's not going towards manufacturing. Uh, those that have money, um, you know, the Stellenbosch crew that have money to invest are looking to invest in tech and, you know, fintech, that kind of a thing. But I strongly believe that manufacturing is still a gold mine for entrepreneurs and also will create jobs. What is Bosa's um, take on manufacturing? Is that a priority or where is your priority area when it comes to the economy? So, again, you look at um, things like uh, the Black Industrialist Scheme and the Black Industrialist uh, Program and all these things that have come through and that are, have not benefited the people or the popu the majority of the population that they were supposed to benefit. And it's another thing, Don Bentley, which, you know, you speak about things that break your heart, that break my heart, is that taxpayers' money has been made available for, 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 for such programs and for such transformation to take place, but it just doesn't get there. We just never get to a point where we can say that we, we, we can look at these programs and say they, they are benefiting to the extent that they should be uh, South Africans. So absolutely, when we speak about special economic zones, manufacturing is definitely there um, as part of of, 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 of the industries or, or as part of the focus uh, that we need to have uh, for the reason that you say in that there's usually quite a lot of opportunity in that value chain 
uh, first of all. And, you know, we speak of, for instance, BE, and you look at it as a, a policy which I've stated is, is really flawed. And you say, well, the opportunity there um, in speaking to any kind of affirmative action could have been for, 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 for businesses or corporates to be able to work with, like you're saying, local manufacturers legislate the percentage of their spend that should be with those manufacturers, but even have manufacturers that are part of their value chain that supply components, for instance, of what they're supplying and have those businesses set up in townships in order to to stimulate township economies. So those are some of the those, those are some of the detail in terms of when you talk about what could economic transformation look like. And manufacturing is definitely one of the sectors where, where, where you could do that. Yeah. Um, one of the things, one of the thoughts I had when I saw you launching a political party um, is that obviously, you know, I felt like you you launch it you launch you launched in 2022, which is about two years before. Actually, you probably had less than two years before the yeah. next election cycle. And um, uh, so you're you you're likely to get minority seats. And I, I how do you? F- I feel like minority anything, minority seats, minority politics in South Africa are al- are almost meaningless. Um, yeah. There's not much impact that a minority party can have because of our electoral system. What is your take on that? And why, um, how are you okay with being a minority party at this time? Why? Yeah. So I think right now, what is, what we're quite sure of um, when you look at the political landscape in South Africa is that we are going to be in a coalition. Uh, there, there will be a coalition government. Analysts have said so. Polls have said so. It's it's a it's something that's very likely. And in that instance, then minority parties become very important. Um, we've seen what's happened with coalitions in South Africa um, in the recent past, uh, especially in local government. And the reality is not about trying to do away with coalition governments and continuing with the one party majority rule because we see what that's done for us. And for me, really, it is not the the best expression of democracy. Um, It's not the best expression of the different views um, and, and the different positions that we have and that sit in a country. So. To me, when you look at the mess with coalitions that we've seen, it's not necessarily about saying we need to do away with coalitions and make sure we get one party that wins. It's more about we need to make sure that we exercise our coalition muscle and that we have the right parties in the room um, who are able to make coalitions work. So I don't think, I think that right now being a minority party um, is such an important position um, and will continue to be for a long time. Right now, one of the biggest conversations that's had um, is about the issue of potentially the ANC being in a coalition with the EFF. 
Now, for me, um, and I'll just share my political standpoint, I look um, at the EFF and I think that that wouldn't be the best position for us to be in in South Africa. I don't, uh, for one, think that that's an ethical leadership um, in that party, even policy aside, ideological position aside. I don't think that we we have an ethical leadership that would change anything um, in that kind of partnership than we have now. So it becomes important who then is there in the room for any party as an option um, when it comes to forming coalition governments. So this, the time that we, we, we are in now is the most critical time um, and the most significant time to be a smaller party. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how that will work because obviously that's where we're going. I I think coalitions are a mess. I don't feel they work under our current electoral and governance system. But I'm looking forward to seeing how you guys will be able to try and navigate so that we actually move forward. We don't have five years of stagnancy because that's a potential um, that can happen. But Ubuntu then, because, you know, for me, the thing that I've always been, and, and, I, and at a time, I think in 2004, 2005, 2006, I was working in, in, in Parliament and I did research and I presented a paper um, and it was a comparative research paper uh, looking at systems in Canada, Germany and Australia. And, and I recommended at the time that we have electoral reform. Mm-hmm. And till today we have, I mean, we've seen um, other movements that have tried to push for electoral reform and we saw a bill come through that didn't do the things that need to be done in order to make this a true democracy, because I don't rate South Africa highly as a democracy. What uh, What's happening? Because I, I know um, your partner, Musi Maimane, um, went to court on the electoral um, system issue. Where, what's going on? And when are we likely to start seeing changes to make the electoral system a more representative and a more fair system that cuts out corruption and unethical leadership as much as possible. So you're right in that the bill that has come through does really, really, really does such an injustice to the work of of people like Musimai Mane, um, which is the work that he did with OSA, to the work of other organizations that have been part of making sure um, that the unconstitutionality um, of our current system is challenged. We sit now with the bill that, you know, to to a large extent, almost even leaves us worse off because... Mm. As an independent candidate, um, the system definitely favors big parties. You know, the way the way it is now, you are actually disadvantaged for being an independent candidate. Um, yeah. if if you, for instance, um get more, more, more um more votes than what it would take to get a seat for yourself, those votes are generally distributed um, amongst other parties, for example. Um, It also disadvantages smaller parties as well. And so, like you say, it's really, really not an expression of what we would call a democracy. And you're right to say that um, 
that you're right in not rating our democracy on the basis of this electoral system, because the truth of the matter is, as it stands now, um, we can't call it that. So I think I know that there are there, there are various institutions that are challenging the bill. We're part of that um, in challenging the bill uh, and we'll actually be releasing a statement about that um, in, in, in the near future. But we are part of challenging that bill because it currently is not democratic. We do know that uh, our government, as they did with the first uh, bill, this bill that we sit with now, have been known to delay the process uh, when it comes to these types of things. But this is something that we continue to challenge. Uh, we continue to challenge the electoral system because we care about democracy and because actually even our very existence, we have done with our party what the bill has not been able to do. Um, our yeah. very existence is around deepening democracy and making sure that we have power back in our hands as citizens. So, for instance, we are how we are compiling our candidate list is by asking communities to nominate leaders, endorsing them, and then they go through that selection criteria. But we're saying to communities, you choose your leaders that you'd want to see on our candidate list. This is yeah. our way of, look, given what we have now, given mm. the system we have now, this is the this is what we can do. This is something we can come up with to make sure that at least our process is democratic and that we represent democracy in what we're doing and and we strive for what we ultimately want to see in the electoral system. Yeah. Oh wow. I like that you guys are doing that. I wasn't aware of that. Uh yeah. because as 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 a citizen in South Africa, we are so disempowered. Like the only thing we are able to do is to vote. Um and beyond that, nothing, because you don't even get to vote for the person that represents you, your area, um, mm. in, in the big decisions that affect you, whether it's, you know, uh, you, and it's, it becomes hard for a citizen to also then hold government accountable. That's why, that's why we don't even have a proper accountability system. Um, yeah. So I'm. I hope I really hope that um, people like you, you know your new parties like yourselves and people like yourselves continue to push for this change because I think for me like any political party that has not pushed so whether it's the DA the EFF the ANC and all these other parties that have been here a long time that have not pushed for electoral change for me indicates that they don't have the people at heart because that should be the thing that makes you. Um, that that matters to you most as a political party is to see um, the the basic grassroots expression of democracy, and that, that is a fair and inclusive um, electoral system. So I, I wish you luck. I'm going to follow that one uh, closely because it's something that um, matters to me a lot. Yeah. Um, so what are your goals? What are your goals as a party and individual um, for 2024 election time? Sure. Um, the goals for 2024 election time are to have a significant and kingmaker position as a party um, come, come 2024. It's to be part of a collective um, of South Africans, um, and that will be more than one party who are committed to changing um, South Africa, who are, who are committed to serving South Africa. So, so that's that's definitely it as a as a party. We really, really want to take the lead in making sure that we are a viable partner uh, 
um, come come 2024. We also want to make sure that we are a, 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 a a real voice of the people. And our model that I just spoke about and how our candidate list will be compiled speaks to that. And our work in engaging citizens in different ways speaks to that in contributing to our policies and and, and everything else that we're doing speaks to that. That really is what we want to do um, come come 2024 and and what the target is for for 2024. Personally, um, I'm looking forward to joining Parliament in 2024 um, and having a significant voice. I think, particularly because uh, in my position as a woman. So, you know, one of the things that has been big for me and one of the surprises that I've had is how patriarchal the space is. Um, yeah. It is incredibly so. So there are things that are deceiving. So you look at um, our statistics. Uh, we are at over 40 percent uh, representation of women in parliament. So you then think that, well, you know, the political party system must then be quite representative. But no. my goodness, it's not. Far, 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 far from it. Uh, I think that's really been a surprise for me. And I think that we have not had the opportunity to represent the the, the true leadership of women in this country. I don't think we've seen that. I don't think we've seen that in political leadership as yet. And so I look forward to to being in parliament um, as a woman. I look forward to being... Uh, to leading in parliament as a progressive voice um, and a, and as a transformative voice and mind uh, in this country. I look forward to bringing the kind of leadership that I believe our country needs. Um, and, and I look forward to being a representative of us as citizens and who we are. Um, you know, I get uncomfortable when people call me a politician. I suppose technically it's what I am now, but... Yeah. <laughs> The reason I've come into this is because I'm a South African, I'm a citizen, I'm a mother, I'm an employer, um, I'm all these things. And that's what I represent. And I look forward to representing that. Yeah. I'm glad that you feel uncomfortable. You should, you should please stay uncomfortable with being called that because I think yeah. um, <laughs> when I look at um, the politicians we have, uh, so many of them have been there for too long and they haven't made a difference. Um, yeah. And I think because they wear this, it become, they become um, career politicians instead mm. of people who are seeking to make change um yeah no I, and i'm glad that you've brought up the issue of black women in in, in parliament and politics and it's, it's all it's always just been you know f- they've just been figureheads they haven't been able to exercise oh. them the, the their the individuality and i think that's the thing for me about our the, the current electoral system and how it's played out in party politics women and a lot of people a lot of lot of good people um because they just want to make the party list end up um not showing their true selves and their true potential um so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing you active uh, in the political space um and now that we're winding down on our interview how are you guys going to tackle voter apathy or what is the state of voter apathy currently in the country is there an excitement are we going to see more people voting in 2024 from what you guys are seeing sure you know we have a lot of work to do 
um, and you are doing that work on the ground. The work really isn't getting people, getting the space with people, because I found that once people are engaging you, once people are engaging what we have to say and what we're doing and how it's different, then we've got voters, then they're excited. Um, and so we have a lot of work to do in making sure that we get to as many corners of this country as we can, because people are disillusioned and people do have a mistrust um, for, as you say, the career politicians. And that's been important for us that we make sure so the, 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 the majority of our leaders, whether it's provincial leaders um, and, and, and in all our leadership kind of structures, um, the majority of the leaders in our party are people who are not career politicians. It's people who have been leaders in different spaces. So people who have been leaders in civil society, in business, in the legal fraternity. We've got all sorts of people who are leaders. And even as we go out looking for candidates over the next month in July, we're going to be revealing some of the first list of candidates that we've had because we've had over 500 submissions from people who want to be candidates and we're going to be revealing the first of those in the next month. And that is exciting. Um, those are the kinds of things that get people excited and get people wanting to vote again. So people are disillusioned, but I think what we're presenting um, as a body of South Africans, not as a as a group of politicians, as a body of South Africans who want to change this country is something that excites people. Yeah. Okay. Well, we look forward to seeing that. Um, You're going to um, be uh, submitting your name as a candidate. I need to pitch to you. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we look, we all need to participate in making the country right. You know, I had a conversation. I don't know if you remember uh, Mandy Zamasheho. She used to be in the EFC. Yes, 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 I've met her. I was talking to her yes. yesterday as well because I want to have her on the podcast because she's been very active on um, trying to change the electoral system. Yes. And she's, like, she's tired of people asking her, um, what are you guys doing to change this? What? She's like, she's tired of people asking. She's like, every time now when if someone asks, she's like, what are you doing about you it? You're doing yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, I think that that that's definitely time for everyone to 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 own up because that's what response that's what um being a responsible citizen and um living in a democracy is about, right? Mm-hmm. I would be remiss Nobuntu not to ask you about why you chose to partner with um Musi Maimane, especially since he's coming. He has, you know, he's been in politics for a while. Um I'm not sure how public perception sees him, but yeah. you know. Were you were you not? It, it's always uh, you know a bit tricky sometimes partnering someone who already has um, a particular legacy. What mm-hmm. made you choose and felt okay to partner with Musi Maimani? So coming out of, I spoke to you about the the, the program that I'd come out of the political yes. leadership program out of, and coming out of that, I had quite a few options. You know, I had I had some some invitations, call it that. Um, to 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 take part in various political parties. But you know, I sat with that for months and none of it seemed to none of it settled. Um and, and none of those options made sense to me. I think yeah. part of the reason is that I had seen um I mean I'd been involved uh, to some degree 
uh, in student politics um, and then had been involved uh, as a young professional and, and in politics. And it was like mm, everything that I see and everything that I've experienced is not it, you know. And I think for me, the biggest thing was, I mean, you and I are entrepreneurs. Um, I, I, could, I could look at all this and think the actual issue with this thing is the framework. It's the container. So, and I can't come into it and change the container. So I can't change the system. I can't change how it works. I can't go into the political party and go, actually, how your thing is working doesn't work. Let's change the whole thing and, and work it a different way. So I think, you know, um, deep down, that was actually the real issue that I had. I looked at this and I was like, but we need a disruption and none of the stuff is disruptions. So that's the first thing. The second is that I then met Musi, we met at a non-political event um, and I met him and we got to talking um, post that event and, and met up a few times and I got to know the man. Um, I, I, I do believe that and I know a lot of people who are from his former political party. And I and I do believe that there was a brand and an image that was created um, in order to work for that. And in getting to know who he is, what he stands for, um, you know, him and I talking about policy and falling kind of on the same page about those things. Um, I got to see somebody that genuinely, first of all, cares about this country. I got to see somebody who's an ethical leader and I got to know somebody who's an ethical leader because, I mean, we became friends and we spent time. And I got to know somebody who was willing to question the status quo and to partner in building something that looks different from what we have in order to bring back power to South Africans. And for me, the issue with politicians, even now, if I'm on an interview and there are other politicians around and I speak about some of the policies that we have, whether it's in safety um, or education that are actually around giving power back to citizens, then people lose their minds. And like, But you can't let people choose that. And it's like, <laughs> what? Um, yeah. What? I met yeah. somebody who is so passionate about giving power back to South Africans. And I mean, you mentioned earlier his work that he has been doing for a while um, in electoral reform. And that is around giving power back to South Africans. And yeah. that's why he was someone I could work with. Um, yeah. I, I do believe South Africans need to get to know Musi Musi, not the former political party Musi. And I yeah. do believe that they will. Um, yeah. And they are getting to know and see Musi for who he is. Um, yeah, he. I, I couldn't have asked actually for anyone else to do this with um, than him. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, Ubuntu, thank you so much for joining me. You are an African woman who is rocking uh, the political and economic space. Uh, I kudos to you. It's you know I feel you're being very courageous. And I'm hoping that you inspire many women, not just only in South Africa, but across the continent, because I don't think that saying that African women are the rock are is, is wrong. We are the foundation of um, societies. And so when 
African women are not participating in the economy. They're not speaking up. They are playing themselves down. It reflects in our society. And that is why things are quite imbalanced right now, because we have not been standing up to our full potential. And seeing a woman like you, and you're quite young, Nobuntu, you know, um, uh, well, African, I'm very encouraged. Um, in African political terms, I'm young, yes. Yes. No, yeah. I mean, like, we are definitely young. Um, uh, at the end of the day, you know, uh, it does count for me in any case. I've always, I, I believe youth um, have a particular um, role to play, but experience and wisdom come with with, with age. And uh, you're definitely young in terms of um the space that you're getting into. And I'm very excited. I am looking forward to chatting with you again, like probably closer to the elections to really get a, get your feel at the time um, about what it's like to be a Black female in politics. And I hope you um, take and bring along with you many more Black women uh, into, into the space. Thank you for oh, joining us. Thank you hey? so much. I how, how's it going so far though with um getting black women involved is it are you finding that it's um, oh, easy it's really it's not easy it's not easy at all it's really really difficult um i think that just how politics is um not only in south africa but just how it is it's not inviting um it's not inviting to women uh you come into the space and it's not you know, it doesn't it, it doesn't draw you in. <laughs> so I, I'm really working hard to make Bossa the kind of space that draws in women. Uh, and we do have some incredible women in the party now and we're starting to get more. But it's not easy. We are getting more, but it's not easy. I'm having a under the South African Women's Commission. Um, I'm planning to have in August a women in public representation event to encourage women to get into public leadership. Uh, but it's it's really not easy. It's not easy, um, but we, we're we here and we, we're going to make it meaningful. Uh, and we're going to make, like you're saying, it's got to be real. I mean, it's got to be when you see a woman in public leadership, it has to be, if I have anything to do with it, it's got to really be her and all her independence and all of who she is. Yeah, or her free-thinking self, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I look forward to seeing it. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely be following and supporting your journey. Um, thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to picking your brain sometime about a number of other things. <laughs>